Hey everybody, welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, joined by Justin Verrier from The Ringer. You know him from like the stuff he writes from the group chat. Um, and we know him from, uh, he used to sit behind us at the uh, at the old ESPN LA offices. So that's how we know him. Um, how you doing, man? Good to see you. That we never had a desk in. That's like, did she not? That, no. Oh, God, no. That wasn't our assigned desk. That was just somewhere we sat. When we happen to be there, <laughs> the only person, the only person who, from ESPN LA, like that wasn't an editor that somehow ended up with his own desk, and it's just perfect. Was a Rosh? Yes, Rosh somehow ended up not just with his own desk, but like the most decorated desk in the, <laughs> in the entire office area. And I don't think it was actually his desk. Yeah, a lot of pizzazz. I definitely remember like stumbling upon one of his headshots. It was yes. the equivalent of flair. <laughs> flair, exactly. Um, but I do remember that now. That was that was a pretty cramped space because they were also trying to fit the Grantland people in there. And the only thing dividing them was just like the next row over. And <laughs> you were in a completely uh, different company. They, they, look, they treated us very well there. I have no problem yeah. with that was true. But like you looked over the little barrier, a little partition between us and the Grantland folks. And it was like, you know, there were some budgetary differences. Like you could tell, <laughs> you could tell who was getting the money and who wasn't. And eventually, look, man, I don't blame you. You you found your way over to that Grantland money just in another form over there at the ringer. So uh, you know, kudos for that. Yeah, I'd like to think raiding their snack area was like <laughs> my first introduction into the system. So it all it all worked out in the end. They, you, you caught their eye, and eventually, um, <laughs> was both, you, were, you were you were brought in. Was both proactive and passive aggressive. So congratulations. <laughs> Which yeah, is actually I, that's the key to being a ringer employee. So. Well, I, I, just, I remember like once Grantland launched, and I, and I was really excited because I, I knew what they were going to do, and I was like, this sounds like stuff I'm going to like, and I really enjoyed Grantland's content. But I remember just seeing all of a sudden all those desks, and I was like, boy, that escalated like really fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. They took that whole damn place over. I, I just didn't think it was fair. Like every single day that I was over there, and they would just somebody with like a cart would come by and just drop a stack <laughs> of 20s on everybody's desk. <laughs> like, like, like it was the mail call. Right. Um, and then Arash got hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. And he wasn't even working for Grantland. I don't no. know what happened, but he, he <laughs> managed, in typical Arash fashion, he managed he to just man managed to get it done. Um, so, the, what the hell has been going on in the like? First of all, let's let's establish that theoretically nothing is supposed to have happened in the NBA yet, right? Like right. everything that's happened to this point is cheating, <laughs> um, and nobody seems to care. But good God, man! I mean, I know we were all expecting something, but before we start getting into all of it, like Justin, were you, were you expecting this much this fast? I guess so. I think once we realized that everything was going to be crammed into a literal week or at most a week plus, if we want to like take Thanksgiving off, which I'm, I'm really hoping that the NBA does, it seemed like we were in for a lot of stuff happening. Uh, and we're not even halfway through. We haven't even made it to the draft. And what most of the reports have been indicating was just that the two huge, or I guess three huge, like, points of activity are going to be when the moratorium was officially listed on trades draft night and free agency and so we've only gotten through one of them and there's still several teams that haven't done anything and we expect them to at least get in the mix here well at this point we're down to like there the, the tomorrow's draft wednesday's draft will have i think four teams participating in it 
Like, that's, like <laughs> right. that's it. Like nobody else has a pick. Right. I, I mean, I only know about LaMelo Ball via his YouTube clips. So to me, that's actually accurate. I, I have no idea about some of these guys. I've never heard of them. I have no idea. I mean, I, I gave up watching college basketball a long time because for for a while covering the Lakers, I didn't really need to know a lot of these guys because they always gave away their picks anywhere. They're drafting like 29. And at that point, it's, it's kind of just a best available player crapshoot. And mm-hmm. then, you know, for about four years, I was studying dudes who'd be in the lottery because that's where the Lakers were. But by and large, I don't watch anything. But then, you know, this year, there basically wasn't a season. <laughs> I I have seen, like you said, maybe three or four minutes of LaMelo in YouTube clips from Australia. And to me, he looks exactly like Lonzo. And <laughs> you can just take that as a good thing, bad thing, somewhere in the middle, whatever. Like James Weissman could walk past me, and I would literally have no idea. I mean, maybe so I would guess Weisman, just as opposed to Weisman. Jonathan Weissman, like our yes. like John Weissman, yeah. our friend, yeah. like right. covers the Dodgers. To, to my point, no, no you, I'm sorry. If James Weissman and Jonathan Weissman walked by each other, oh, John okay. Weissman walked James, by, you would know yes. the difference between the two of them. Well, no, I know the difference between them. I wouldn't know that one of them was uh, <laughs> was James Weissman, though. I would just know that one of them is way taller than. Uh, John Wiseman. <laughs> Both have a lot of upside. Or like Anthony Edwards. And Wingspan. I have yeah. no idea who he is. Well, there's this other part of this where we've written a few stories about this now, how certain prospects have actually taken significant leaps during this quarantine period because there's been six months for a bunch of 18 and 19-year-old guys to just work on their skills. And you've seen a guy. So Tyrell Terry is this guy at Stanford who was just like real thin, really small. And he was super skilled, but he really needed to bulk up if he really wanted to have a chance at the lottery. Well, all he did was just like do bicep curls all summer. And now he's thought of as like he went from a second round pick, according to like some of our draft guys, to on the fringes of the lottery, potentially in the lottery. So it's a really weird situation to try. Yeah, it's like when when you know the the lot the the lockout, the layoff happened and you know the, the pause in the season, and you come back and Zion looks like this god all of a sudden he was like he went from yeah he's really active he needs to drop 20 pounds to holy shit what happened to zion you know Uh, i I contend that that was some instagram angle stuff because i i know the photo (laughs) you're talking about it was just him with his bicep and like i'm not gonna say that he didn't like put in the work or he was fat before or whatever there's the butt coming but I clearly think like <laughs> that was just like a favorable photo that we all just like freaked out about, and he was potentially like the same weight that he was the entire. No, time. he looked better, but he looked better in the uniform. He's know? a little more cut, you know. Yeah, I mean, come on, get the. Get but then the he went out of the bubble for like two days, and then he was back to not being in shape. So I really can't get a sense of when he's in shape. Dole whip. Not. That's because they had dole whip. <laughs> Well, it's it's hard. I mean, you lived in New Orleans for a while. Like, it's hard. Wait, I remember uh, yeah. talking with Julius with Julius Randall when he ended up making that deal with the Pelicans. Or um, the first thing that he did was get a private chef because he said that, like, when he, just going on road trips as a Laker, whenever they go to New Orleans, he'd put on like five pounds just because the food is amazing. And you know, if you don't have somebody being the adult in the room for you, like the professional you know, I guess calorie counting adult in the room, you're just going to blow up. Yeah. I always said it was tough just to find a salad there, which isn't a joke. It was literally tough 
to find just like a run of the mill lunch salad. So I really had to corner off like these two places that were relatively close to me in order to like take a play off because the food is not only decadent, but you can eat super well at lower prices than you would at a more like metropolitan city like Los Angeles. And so like just leaving the city, I could feel the pounds just shed off me. So it's incredible, but I probably shaved off like a year or two of my life. So like, no joke. Yeah, but those are the shitty ones at the end. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, <laughs> right. Like, you didn't I mean, need those. They're like the Lakers uh, draft picks, right? Like exactly. They order the Pelicans. <laughs> worry about them later. Yeah, exactly. no, no problem. Like, so, all right. The... the uh, let's start with this because you know the the arms race uh, in the NBA is officially on. Everybody seems to be trying something. Uh, you know the Bucks yesterday do the the Drew Holiday and Bogdanovich stuff. Uh, the Lakers have acquired Dennis Schroeder, and you know the the Clippers are apparently ready to throw a fair amount of money at at Rajon Rondo to improve that situation. Um, the James Harden. Got- uh, Chris Paul, right? Chris Paul to Phoenix. The Nets might pick up James Harden. Which of these things, and we'll end up talking about all of them. Which of these things jumps out most to you? You know, halfway, like you say, halfway through this process. So the biggest one right now is probably the Bucks deals, simply because that was such a splashy move, and you would imagine it's followed up by, if not Giannis signing the Supermax extension that you think is going to be on the table from minute one of free agency if it's not already uh he's going to make a decision on it and that's the biggest move any player or team is going to make this offseason uh if he does sign that i guess it's worth it i i'm a little bit more mixed on the moves that they made uh i think i love bogdan i love drew i covered him for two seasons in new orleans and think he's 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 an appreciable update or upgrade from eric bledsoe but I don't know if they necessarily satisfied their biggest need. It was just like shot creation and playmaking against really good defense in the playoffs. We saw that offense just stall out two years in a row. And while Giannis was hurt this this playoffs, like I do wonder if a Chris Paul might have made more sense there and, and would have changed their title trajectory a little bit more than the moves they made. And so... I think for two reasons. So Giannis, and then I also wonder its impact on the title race. I'm curious what you guys think. Well, I, I will, go ahead, Eddie. I, I was going to say with, with Drew Holiday. I, I, I'm a bit, really big fan of him as well, and I've seen I've seen some people react saying that they don't think he's actually that much appreciable an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. I w- I personally disagree. But if you look at their numbers last year, you know they're actually not that far off if you start comparing like per 36 and getting into some of the details from the regular season. What I think, though, is, I guess, at least potentially demonstratively different for the Bucs with having Drew there is just you remove Eric Bledsoe's playoff history because it's been so bad for Milwaukee the last few years, and you wonder if it starts turning into kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point, like, you know, both for Bledsoe as a player, but also the rest of the guys around him. Like, it reminds me a little bit of the Raptors when they finally broke up DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. And obviously, you know, part of that equation is getting Kawhi Leonard. So you do that. But I feel like even if it wasn't for Kawhi, at some point, you were going to have to do that because it had run its course. And you, you just wonder if those guys didn't believe in themselves by the last year together as much as they maybe had, you know, 
two years before that. And, and I, I think that may really be where you see that difference in having Holiday there, you know, and then Bogdanovich as opposed to what they had before. I just think like the stuff that he's not like that Holiday is better. He's, a, you know, he's a little bit, I think, more versatile in terms of how you can match him up defensively just because of the length and the shooting. It's just like the, those two things, like Bledsoe's a good player. Like he's one of those guys that it's a little bit like Russ. And I think you've talked about this, Justin, where like Russ's contract has gotten to the point where you forget that like up until the pandemic, wasn't he averaging like 38 and eight last year? It's right. Like, yeah. He was better like, than Harden for stretches. Right. Yeah. He doesn't suck, um, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. And I think Bledsoe is the same way. Like he's still a really good player. It's not like New Orleans got, gets nothing out of it. But the things that he's not good at, he, you know, you can ignore him uh, on the perimeter as a shooter. Like, for example, it's just, and then he says, like, the playoff stuff matters like that those are not insignificant things for a team like milwaukee i'm actually i'm i'm more impressed by how they managed to conjure bogdanovich out of thin air <laughs> than the holiday thing because you figured they were gonna they were going to acquire someone like that holiday yeah. makes sense and they gave up a lot to get him but then they turn around and they give up you know basically DiVincenzo for bogdanovich and i'm like how the hell did that happen like that right. was that to me is the bigger of the of the difference makers. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's going to come down to. It seems like they upgraded what they did significantly, and part of that is just beefing up the starting unit. When a lot of last year, it seemed like some of their strength, especially in the regular season, came from depth. You know, they were yeah. super strong regular season team, and like I almost think it kind of forces Bud's hand a little bit too. So now he has to play his starting lineup uh, a significant amount of minutes. So I, I still think that Paul probably makes more sense. You could argue that in the long term, it doesn't make as much sense just because you're trying to sell Giannis on a future. And I don't know if you, a 35 year old who has a pretty long rap sheet at this point of clashing with their bigger stars uh, is the type of guy you really want to sell to your 26 year old. But I am curious if we just don't see it as clearly with Bogdan and with Drew, but in the aggregate, they'll be super, they'll be more versatile on offense mm -hmm. and they'll get enough in order to push them forward. I mean, I think the other question is also they need to fill up, I think, seven roster spots with just minimum contracts because of that Bogdan uh, deal hard caps them. So they have a lot to figure out still. And they're probably a better team. Uh, the question I think, and I'm curious what you guys think, is like, are they automatically the best in the East and best in the NBA? They, that's it's a that is a great starting lineup. Yeah, I mean, that starting lineup is is fantastic. Um, I the, the seven you know filling out seven minimums that like you get the ring chasing guys, you can find good bargains, but like you still got to convince people who are ring chasing that they want to do it in Milwaukee. I was just going to say, it's a lot easier to get ring chasers in LA or right. certain other cities. The Clippers the need State. those guys. Golden the Lakers State, yeah. need those guys. You know, yeah. the Celtics are going to need that. Like there's no shortage of teams that are going to be, you know, if the Nets manage to trade everyone to get James Harden, the Nets are going to need yeah, those guys. If I, if I got to choose between cold weather, I'm going to Denver before I go to Milwaukee. <laughs> I mean, right. like if I'm gonna go chase a it's ring. much yeah. sunnier. No, I mean it's at least pretty. Denver's gorgeous. 
Sunshine State. Yeah. Um, I so I mean, I every who is who which team is going to have real depth this year? Like which of these championship caliber teams? Let's say like, again, let's say Brooklyn goes out and swings this deal. They give up all their stuff for um, for 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 Harden. If you look at the you know, Denver will have some, but the Clippers are going to be probably could be pretty top heavy depending on how that works. I mean, and, and their bench really wasn't what we thought it was in the playoffs last year. Anyway, the Lakers are top heavy. I think we can all agree on that. Um, yeah. All that, like everyone's going to be kind of in that same boat. Yeah. Remember when everyone was like last year, that parody was so awesome. And then now we have a bunch of super teams forming again. We realized that that actually wasn't all that interesting. I actually want to see five of the best players go up against five <laughs> of the other best players. Imagine that. Nobody ever like. I mean, this is the thing that like sports fans like. Oh, we want to, everybody. No, you don't. Like, you want Tiger to go out and win every fucking week. That's that's <laughs> what you want. You want the Lakers to be dominant. You want like you want a team in the other conference to also have a chance so that the finals are interesting. But you don't need. 17 teams capable of winning a title you need five mm -hmm. and they're going to have that this year so yeah nobody wants parity yeah it'll be interesting um i don't know with with the bucks though i i just see a lot of moves and i don't know if they even made themselves the best team in the east i, I think it's like i think Who's it's going to be close probably the heat at this point just because you're you're assuming that you're going to get improvement from Hero and Robinson, maybe none. Bam probably has another level to hit. And you would think that if Giannis is off the table for the Heat now, they have a little bit more flexibility in terms of what they're going to do Good with point. that last like big cap hole that they're kind of storing away for potentially next season. Like maybe that's just a balloon payment to Goran Dragic, but like that's a guy who was their best offensive he player really going into their NBA finals. And so like just even having him back there is kind of at the very least just like security for just not having to like fill that role with like a nobody. I mean, if, if, if Giannis really is off the table and you have to think that with these type of moves that Milwaukee made, they may not have gotten like a true verbal assurance from Giannis that he's signing that super max, but they have to feel at least pretty confident because I mean, those are insanely aggressive moves for a team that could lose for a team not just that could lose everybody. You know, they could lose Giannis in a year, they could lose Holiday in a year, they could lose those guys in Milwaukee, where good luck right. getting anybody to replace them. So they must feel reasonably good about it, stands to reason. And if that's the case, as disappointed as Miami's gonna be about that, it actually does them a favor to know. You know what I mean? Like as opposed mm -hmm. to just having to do everything on speculation for a year and not make certain moves that could make them better as an elite team because they're too worried about, you know, what, what does this do with Giannis? It's like, it's like three or four years ago when the Lakers tried to get a meeting with Durant and he, he wouldn't even take the meeting. And I remember all these Laker fans like, oh, my God, are you kidding? It's the Lakers. I, how is this? this? This is unbelievable. What's happening to the Lakers? I'm like, you guys don't realize what a favor he just did because, like, any moves the Lakers might have made, they would put on hold on the 1% chance that they'd be getting Durant, and they would just end up sitting on their hands. I'm like, he, it was like the equivalent of a mercy killing. Like, it, really, sure? like, it, was, it was the best possible thing for the Lakers. Are we, are we sure the Lakers brass didn't think that as well, though? 
<laughs> that they were going to get KD, and then when he didn't show up, they're like, "Whoa!" No, I'm not. I'm not oh, saying no, even I they recognized it. I, I think <laughs> yeah. they were surprised. Probably, I, I don't. Who that? That was Lamar, such a weird they era. Marcus Aldridge twice. Twice. <laughs> they, they have really come a long way, and I don't think people want to stop and realize this, but like. I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you guys listened to the Sam Hinkie interview that he did with Pablo Torre on ESPN great. Dealer. It and he even, great. yeah, my favorite part was the Snyder mark where he kind of just like shoehorned in there really subtly that like, did the Lakers really do anything different than what he was doing? I don't think so. Well, well, actually, yes. The Lakers did do something different than Hinky because Hinky's plan was by design. The right. Lakers, the they Lakers were, were actually, they were actually chasing eight seeds like you know bringing in you know veterans like carlos boozer you know yeah. to, that would for some reason that was going to excite the fan base like laker fans despise boozer <laughs> like and, and you know he was he was at the time blocking julius randall you know he was blocking all these different guys uh, who was it that they oh they signed remember they signed jordan hill to a deal specifically that would be team friendly so they could trade him but you need to showcase him first so they right, he has to be good, yeah. right? They depleted him as an, you know, they devalued him as an asset to bring in Carlos Boozer, who, by the way, couldn't even be traded. Like the way what? the way the CBA worked, like Carlos Boozer, if he played well, couldn't even be moved for like a like a second round pick, you know. But they what were, time. yeah, they, I know what a time to be alive. But they they were <laughs> they were chasing eight seeds, then falling ass backward into lottery picks. Like that's not what Sam Hinkie was doing. No. It was, yeah. it was pretty inexplicable, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Sam Hinkie's biggest fault was just that he was he said the quiet part too loudly. And yeah. I guess, to Jeannie's boss's credit, she just lied her ass off for a couple of years and was like, oh, we we didn't know what we were doing. And it's like, all right. I, I, look, that and, – and I I think the stuff about, like, with Palenka and Executive of the Year this year and all these things are – I mean, to me, is a fascinating argument because – I still maintain that the the stuff that got the Lakers the title, really, you know, obviously LeBron comes and you trade for Anthony Davis. I mean, those are not hard GM things. Like mm -hmm. LeBron James wants to come to your city. You just sort of get out of the way and don't do things that would make it so he doesn't want to come. Anthony right. Davis demands to be traded to L.A. You basically just keep – offering David Griffin things until he finally says yes. Like, you know, when did he hold back Kuzma? Okay, sure, maybe, I don't know. But, like, eventually he's going to say yes to something or there's a point at which you can just say, no, come on, Griff. Like, it's enough. Mm -hmm. The stuff that's going to really prove whether or not Palenka is genuinely good at this, and I actually do think they're setting themselves up well and, and, and all that, is what comes over the next two or three years. Because this is the hard part. Now you've given away all the stuff and you have to construct a team every year that can win a title without a lot of assets, without a lot of access to young players. So we'll actually find out going forward how good Palenka is. Um, whereas last year, I think they got a little bit lucky and then they got, they were, they were, you know, very shrewd about things that in terms of chemistry and fit that probably were underrated at the time. So executiving is a strange process i mean like there's a lot of luck that goes into this but definitely some skill at the same time yeah no and it's it's funny like you don't know how much to attribute some of the like success stories they've had on the fringes to 
you know, just foresight or did they see something in these retreads that no other team did? Like Dwight Howard is a revelation. Now, Avery Bradley was playing well before he didn't go to the bubble. KCP is like, well, you could probably attribute that one to LeBron and he just kind of stuck around long enough that he played well. But like, like they, like a lot of the teams needed three and D guys and they managed to load up on them. And so that's something, but I don't know how much you can well, just say that's dumb luck. Well, I, well, Dwight is an interesting case because, you know, to their credit, they were by all appearances, the only team in the league that gave any consideration to signing Dwight. The flip side, though, is had DeMarcus Cousins not gotten hurt, mm. Dwight wouldn't be on this team. Dwight, Frankly, sure. Dwight would have been unemployed. So, you know, on one hand, it's happenstance, but on the other hand, they were willing to take a chance that nobody... Right, but also, too, Justin, who are their other alternatives at the time? It was like, it's if you don't sign Dwight, you're signing Joakim Noah, Maurice Spates. I mean, mm-hmm. right, like, but Dwight was clearly the best player that was available there. But you, you may have but at the time, baggage. <laughs> yeah. At the time, I don't know if we were saying that, though. I remember, like... I was. Noah, Noah I didn't he have an injury that flared up during, like, the workout or something? Like that was a, probably a bad sign, <laughs> but like Noah became a serviceable, like he was a serviceable backup in Memphis, and like he played minutes with the Clippers. I don't know how successful they were, but like that was like an actual decision at a certain point. And like, so it's interesting because the the whole quant thing has always been that teams will go to the known com- uh, commodity over taking a risk on some guy that they don't actually know the Caruso types. Right. Mm-hmm. But I actually think the Lakers found value in going the opposite way and giving chances to some retreads on the cheap. And they actually showed more than I think a lot of people actually expected from them. So that's, that's again, that's something I just don't know how much to say. That's like a, a stroke of brilliance versus just, it just worked out because you play with LeBron James. And I think the, the other thing that, that Palenka, that the thing that doesn't work in Palenka's favor when you, when you make these awards is that yeah there are institutional advantages to LA when LeBron James is on the team like you know when you have LeBron and AD um and Rich Paul and Rich Paul and all these things you have a lot of forces that are pulling talent toward the flip side is managing all that is hard keeping everybody happy is hard like there was none of the passive aggressive LeBron stuff that sometimes happens you know, sometimes happens that has happened throughout his every once in a while <laughs> happens with like none of that happened this year. AD was made to feel incredibly comfortable and loved and and all of that. Like that's not just LeBron and, and Vogel. That's organizational kind of priorities and stuff like that. Those are the things I think Palenka deserves more credit for um, than, you know, deciding to sign Avery Bradley. <laughs> right. Yeah. And maybe that comes from just his background as a player agent and like knowing what, like how to speak to players and what they need. I also think it's like, you know, you could probably attribute some of that to just Davis and maybe even like, I, I, I'm not to keep knocking Palenka, but I wonder if this is also a LeBron thing because I wrote this during the finals. I think Davis is the perfect LeBron compliment, not only in just mm-hmm. in terms of skill set, just because of how brilliant he is and just how, well, he feeds off of a ball distributor, especially someone like LeBron, like he was doing with Tim Frazier. Of course, he's going to do it with LeBron James. But like he is, I think, a little submissive by nature. And I think he was tasked as being kind of the, the emotional leader of a team at such a young age. And A, I thought it was too young for him. And B, I just don't think that really is something he takes too naturally. And so he kind of found the right fit of allowing LeBron James to be 
just the the most important player while Davis could be the best player or something close to that. Yeah, it, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it reminds me in a lot of ways of Kobe and Powell. Like just mm. Powell was like I've always said that if you had put a bunch of scientists together and said, we need you to create the perfect B to Kobe. Tremendous a. waste of scientists. It really is. It's very specific. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's a very I don't know why you're doing movie. that, but. Right, but, well, I want to get it perfect. I just, you only have one shot to get this right. I mean, it would have been pow. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, the skill set that complement each other. I mean, I remember the first time they played together, it felt like they played together for 10 years. Like, in the first three minutes, they were on the court. But also, Pow was just perfect temperamentally for Kobe. And I think yep. it's exactly like that with LeBron and AD, even though I don't think their relationship is exactly the same. And I think LeBron gives I, – I think he gives AD more space and more of, you know, I, I think sort of a presence on the court. But, they're, you know, they're also in different stages of their career. And LeBron and Kobe were very different in terms of the way they led teams – but I, but I think it's still in a lot of ways the same principle. They're just they're really perfect together, Le- LeBron mm-hmm. and AD. And th- this doesn't feel like something that's eventually going to get tripped up. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating look at kind of how we look at star players and this idea of an alpha. Because on the one hand, you could say perhaps that's why Davis never really took to that in New Orleans. But on the other hand, it makes him the perfect teammate for LeBron, which is a role that quite frankly, like Kyrie Irving wasn't suited for and some other guys of that caliber weren't suited for. And so like, I don't know, it just like ultimately like this kind of worked out and I, I can't see it not working out considering the success they've already had together going forward, just because AD is only going to get more confident. He's going to develop some of the other skills that like uh, are still coming along the ball handling other set, sort of like subtle things that he's been doing, but not doing right. just like, incredibly his whole career so like they're in a good spot and i mean as we saw this past weekend like they still have room to grow not only because some with some of these young players but just considering that this second year they have a lot more flexibility with their contracts yeah it's just it's it's so when you look at the lakers and, you know the you know the Schroeder thing technically not done yet they can't do it until after the draft and so on and so on but, you know, the Warriors are... And you wrote about, by the way, for people right. who didn't see it, you wrote about the Schroeder deal um, at the Ringer. People can check that out. The hardest thing for me about the Schroeder thing is there's no E. Like I, the, I'm the, a master now of the umlauts because I, I, I wrote about this for the... Oh, athletic. did you figure out how to add an umlaut? I, I had no idea. What you do <laughs> is you just press down whatever vowel. If you keep uh-huh. it pressed down, it gives you different options. And one of them is an umlaut. I had no idea. I honestly just left it without the umlaut and just made the copy desk change the entire thing. Like, I am sorry to our copy desk, but I, I will always do that. I can't figure it out. I mean, that's so that's a, a, it's kind of because you do a lot of you know, you edit too. So it's like, that's kind of a dick move to be like, yeah. I know you know the work that you're leaving for people yeah. when you leave all those unumlauted, umlauted, you know, spots there. Yeah. Well, you know, that's just how it goes. <laughs> that's how I pull rank. But it's it, 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 your sorrow. I, I got to remember that sorrow and uh, regret and guilt together, Justin. We we can feel it coming out. <laughs> but it just feels like there should be an E after the O, and there isn't. Um, and so that's that's been throwing me off. But so that that's been done. So the Warriors are expected to be active at some point, whether it's tomorrow ahead of the draft or at some point ever. Or worse comes worse, they had the second pick. You know, and 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 that's you know, an additional piece of talent that they have. 
the Clippers are expected to continue to be aggressive. Denver is ascending and has the ability to improve. Portland's made it, uh, you know, already made a good deal um, and should be better with a healthy Nurkic next year. Phoenix already, you know, has acquired Chris Paul and become at least interesting in that regard. Um, how big is the gap, do you think, between the Lakers and the rest of the conference at this point? It's, I think there's probably a gap between, like, so the Lake, if we're going by tiers, it's probably Lakers and Clippers still. If the Clippers can get their shit together and Kawhi doesn't trade Paul George randomly in the middle of the night, um, then there's probably a little bit more of a drop off. I'm still waiting to see how Denver responds to their big run in the bubble uh, to see if, like, Jamal Murray that we saw then is going to carry over and. Michael Porter Jr., who reportedly they're just holding on to as like prime Michael Jordan at this point in trade talks, like plays his role, learns how to play defense, actually takes a step forward and doesn't like those injury issues don't really come up. But so I so for now, I would put them in that second tier. But like the bottom of the West is still pretty good. I I mean, the Wolves, for instance, are presumably going to try to go for this, even though I'm not totally sold on a D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns core, especially on defense. And I don't know how much, uh, how far they think they're going to get with like a, a 18 year old as one of their core pieces. But like, I can't imagine those guys are looking to wait. I mean, Devin Booker, for instance, we are hearing rumblings that he doesn't want to wait around. He might have eyes for other teams if they didn't get a Paul in there. So I imagine Russell and Kat, his close friends, are also starting to feel that way. And so that's just a long-winded way of saying, like, is there any team in the West other than the Thunder that doesn't think they're in this? When you say for, for Minnesota. I'm pretty sure Sacramento, if you inject them. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's yeah, a bunch of new guys in, over there, but no, I don't think they think they're in it. They're in the uh, Dan Vincendo. Uh, I, I don't think they're terrible. Yeah. They're a good, bad team. Like if they're this, they might San be. San Antonio, I think. San Antonio, yeah. I yeah. think they know. But it, when you say like, because I think this is really interesting. When you say Minnesota is going to go for it, what does that mean for them? It's a great question. <laughs> I, I think it just means that they're they're going to try to win games. <laughs> you know, um, I, at this point, they really they have no other options. I think they've always kind of walked this line between, "Well, we'll go for it until we get 20, 30 games into the season, and it doesn't look like we're going anywhere, and we'll shut people down." Like at this point, they like they don't have that option because the Warriors have their pick. So, uh, and I don't know, I. You would hope that they, at the very least, remain competitive. I guess that's what it would look like. But it is worth. It is. It does say something that you know, the 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 wolves who were god awful last year are still not without talent. They've got some good players on that team. We make fun of Sacramento. They're not a terrible team. They're they're not you know they they they're not a fourteen win joke of a of a team. They're just not good enough to be competitive. Like. The Spurs, even when the Spurs aren't good, and they're not, I don't think, going to be particularly good next year, um, they're still really well coached and competitive and, and are not an, you know, a, a rollover win. Um, you know, it's, it's not out of the question that the Spurs basically have the same team as they did last year, that they could be like they were last year and mm -hmm. kind of fringy playoff, one of the teams in the, in the playoff, you know, tournament kind of thing. Like that's, that's what's I think frightening about the conference. And New Orleans is there, and like we haven't mentioned Utah with a healthy Bogdanovich and Donovan Mitchell theoretically get like that's a good. So, I, I the, this is where I think the 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 conference stuff that they put out today, the the scheduling stuff, 
becomes interesting. Like there were no gimmicks in the schedule. Like I thought maybe it would end up where the they would do the the pod thing where the Pacific teams would mostly just play each other, and it doesn't look like they're doing that. So in a regular kind of schedule, I'm not sure how the conference shakes out because the Lakers aren't going to be able to push. The Clippers are probably still going to try to protect their players. Like I don't know what this looks like from one to eight by the time it's over, and that's before you start figuring out like which team loses three weeks of their superstar because of COVID. Yeah, I thought the schedule coming out was a a real like cold water bath because they literally baked in uh, a part where they can elongate the first half of the schedule in order to make up games based on losses due to the coronavirus, which is like, it's a this looming thing over all this like trade activity and all this fun on Twitter and everything. Like, A, this is going to be super complicated, especially in some of the markets that are seeing spikes. Uh, and B, like we're gonna see a lot of bad basketball. Like, are we gonna see LeBron James for the first month of the season? Like, is he gonna play in Christmas day and then just like go to Miami and have like a break? So. Like, this is going to get I mean, complicated pretty quick. Honestly, I kind of hope for his sake that that's what he does. I mean, you know, when he was doing that uh, sit down on his own show, the the shop with uh, Barack Obama, and Obama said to him that he needs to cherry pick like the first couple months, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, that's why I brought in AD." Which I, <laughs> I love how LeBron is just leaning into saying the quiet part out loud. They're like, "Yeah, I brought in Anthony Davis." <laughs> like that. That was me. He said that like two or three times in the last month or so. But when I heard him say that, I'm like, I really hope he's serious. Like, I mean, LeBron did last season. I expected them. I think a lot of people expected them to kind of ease their way into the season because with the experience they had on that team, the seed would be irrelevant. And, you know, they they played balls out for the entire year. And I, and I thought it was really admirable. And I think ultimately it's a big reason they had the culture they had. I really don't think it would be smart for them to do that, particularly with LeBron this year. No, they can't. Like, I, I think that would – LeBron has like a zillion – if you've ever looked at where he is right now among the all-time minutes leaders, it's staggering mm-hmm. what he's doing at at this stage in his career. It's unprecedented. Yeah. It's like him and John Stockton at this point. Yeah, um, except he has more responsibility. Yeah. I, I do – I'm wondering if – one of the unspoken advantages, and I'm I'm curious if any of the other teams like explore this, is to load up on depth in this season. Like a team like the Hawks, for instance, has all this cap space, have no one to really spend it on. Maybe this Gordon Hayward thing that's getting floated around works for them. Who knows? But like if they just load up like the Clippers did two seasons ago, where they were just super deep and feisty and competitive. If that is going to get you farther than it would in years past, when you have all these super teams to like really beat on you every night, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt. I mean, there's no. I think this is part of the calculation the Lakers made in the Schroeder deal. Is that you know you 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 talk about AD and LeBron as guys who came out of the bubble and banged up, and you're going to have to preserve them. And LeBron had the groin thing and all that stuff. You're going to have to really be careful with those guys at the beginning of the season. Danny Green was more beat up than all of them um, and seemed like he was aging faster. Though. So like, he was already a 20 to 25-minute-a-night guy last year, and that didn't even go up a ton in the playoffs. And so if you already have to – you have to preserve LeBron, you have to preserve AD, and now you're starting to chip away at the rest of your rotation because a guy like Danny Green can't play 30 minutes. I think the ability of Schroeder to go out and play – 33 minutes a night if you need him to or one of like in without a problem 
is part of the the calculus in getting him for this year. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys agree or not. Sure, I could definitely see that advantage. They definitely need to get deeper. They need to get younger. I'm curious what it means for Kuzma because by trading green, you effectively moved the one player that would have allowed mm -hmm. you to trade Kuzma just in terms of matching salary. So I don't really know how they do anything with him at this point. Maybe they aggregate yeah. enough of those contracts, but then again, you're just like, you're throwing away some of these useful players that got you through last season. And so it seems like they're kind of married to Kuzma for the rest of the year. And so if he doesn't step up, we might see a lot of just – uh, just pissy Instagrams in, in the Lakers' future. No, 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 already, no. Well, we're already seeing it. No, <laughs> yeah, no you right. will not, but you won't from him. He, he deactivated uh, his Twitter account. Oh, he's, no. He's all tragic. Yeah, I, well, I, I kind of feel like this is for the best. I feel like this is for the best for everybody, especially him. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, I think it was yesterday. It was either yesterday or uh, – yeah, yesterday was Monday. He just declared – that he was tired. Well, he, of, he doesn't um, think that there's enough respect being put right. next to his name. Right, and he mm. declared on Twitter that he was uh, tired of this, and then he apparently deactivated his account. So <laughs> it's it must be rough to like the one guy that Lakers fans get on because in general, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they tend to have a pretty rose-colored glasses on their own team, and to turn on somebody, it really feels like it takes a lot. I don't. Here's the thing. I don't know if people. I, the Kuz Kuz is is like every argument comes down to like because for a while he really is the only he's the only young player they have with with genuine trade value. I mean Caruso is a little bit of a different kind of deal. Yeah, um, but he's untouchable too. Right. Well, no. <laughs> I mean you you trade AD first. Um, you can't get value back for Caruso that is commiserate with his maybe maybe Harden. Um, Wasn't there a? Did you guys see that Wall Street Journal a piece where it was like he was the best LeBron James teammate yes. at least last season? <laughs> you know what's funny? I mean, this was actually something that Brian and I picked up on because we were doing at the time uh, uh, Lakers pre and post game for seven ten, and we were uh, doing these shows as the Lakers were just you know playing out the string, and there was this period where everybody that mattered other than LeBron was hurt. And they, they called up uh, Caruso from the G League, and he started getting these expanded minutes because, I mean, really, they had to. Mm -hmm. And you could see LeBron loved playing with Caruso. Like, I mean, this is before, like, Caruso became a thing. LeBron was genuinely enjoying himself. And, like, he seemed to really – I mean, they played well off each other, but he seemed just from the beginning to actually enjoy it before anybody knew that this was a, you know, that he was eventually going to become like this cult hero. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's he the new Chetty Osmond. LeBron. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's the new Chetty Osmond. He, he just loves hustle guys who just know their role. They run the floor. They, they shoot a little bit. They cut a little bit. Just, but he's really smart. I think that's part of it yeah. too. I, I just think like, you know, Caruso clearly gets the game. He obviously does not have the talent that, that LeBron has. That's fine. LeBron can make up that part of it. It's the it's the it's the basketball IQ he, part that I think he and he actually. I mean, his defense is at minimum it's upper really echelon. Like, I mean, he is a, he's a legitimately really good defender. I mean, if he, there are elements offensively that he needs to get either better or I think just more aggressive with. Like we saw it at times uh, during the playoffs, but. You know, there there have been periods where, and it, it feels like the joke that writes itself, where Caruso would remind me offensively a little bit of Steve Blake, 
when he was of with course. the Lakers, where it's like, dude, yeah. like seriously, you you got to take a shot. Like mm-hmm. you've you've gone twenty minutes without taking a shot. Just put up something. But then Caruso, the the more he started getting confident with his offense, the more it's like, you know what? He actually can contribute. And again, defensively, he's he's the jokes are easy with him, but he's legitimately good at that. Yeah. No, I mean, if you're talking about Palenka's executive of the year case, like it probably starts there. That's like a legitimate find who is playing significant NBA finals minutes. And like there were times like if you didn't have him there, I don't know who you were turning to. It very quickly went to the, like the Quinn Cooks of the world, you know? And so one thing I am curious though is like, without Rondo there, can you play like Schroeder and Caruso in closing minutes? Or is that going to be an either or situation? So this is where I think really this small. is where the what comes next thing. Cause the answer is theoretically yeah. sure. Um, and actually with, with a deal, you know, like, you know, because it's, it, who that who's the fifth guy? Like that's what we're really asking yeah. the question is because you know Caruso is long enough and big enough that he can play certainly against other twos and you know maybe even a three depending on but like so it's AD LeBron Caruso Schroeder and who because mm-hmm. are you playing a team that has a really dynamic wing because then you're going to need a guy who can guard them and you know Schroeder can't Caruso will probably struggle uh, that's a lot to ask for LeBron. Uh, it's a lot to, but, but the short answer I think is yes. And I actually think that from a spacing standpoint and a ball handling standpoint, shot clock coming down, you have another guy in Schroeder who's on the floor who can actually generate his own shot, which they did not have at all last year. Um, it's part of the reason I like the trade is I assume that they can, that Schroeder will work hard enough defensively that he won't be a liability. He won't be the uh, a plus that, that Green was, but I don't think he'll necessarily be a liability. And he just, the stuff that they, they got, I think they got a little lucky that the stuff that they were bad at didn't hurt them. Like they never, you know, they, they didn't face, you know, really great wings until the finals. And it was Jimmy Butler and he kind of lit him up. Um, mm-hmm. Like that stuff didn't hurt them. The secondary shot creation didn't matter as much because playoff Rondo turned out to be real and all that. But I don't you know if you can count on that again this year. Really, this, you, really know, the, quick, the, you know, all that really, stuff. I just think really, it matters. Really quick, Justin, before you uh, get to what Brian was talking about, do you think that Schroeder being added definitely means Rondo's gone? I don't know. It just seems like to keep him would be complicated. It seems like he's going to opt out, right? And yeah, I, I don't know how they really get to his number unless you wanted to vote the mid-level exception to him because it like the reporting indicates that like the hawks and the clippers are, are going around that number and quite frankly i don't think he's worth that because one he doesn't play in the regular season and two like is playoff rondo real like in perpetuity or is that just like the last last dance of playoff rondo I mean, it, it may to some degree. I I think the worst Western ever. <laughs> it may, it may <laughs> the last dance starring playoff Rondo, the, the MJ sequel. Yeah. Playoff Rondo though is a great name for a cowboy. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. like a Western. Here comes old playoff Rondo. Um, <laughs> but like, you, well, you know, I, it's you know they're at least seventeen. Like if if college was a thing that was still happening right now and college bands were still a thing that were happening right now there were 35 bands that named themselves playoff rondo in the wake of the of the finals yeah, this year sure but like i it probably to some degree has to do with if avery bradley opts out 
you know, like in terms of their overall uh, payroll and that, and like what the size of the mid-level exception that they may have and luxury tax and all that, you know, hard cap, all that stuff. But like, cause I think, I think it's when, when, when they made that deal with Schroeder, I, I didn't take it as an automatic given that Rondo would be gone, although it definitely is insurance. It definitely to me felt like a, you know, balls in your court, Avery. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, like you have in terms of Avery Bradley opting out, like thinking that it could get the Lakers panicked over it or, you know, that it might give him some leverage because they'd worry about him leaving with Schroeder there. I, I, whether they want him there or not, it's not a worry. Yeah. Yeah. You wonder if their skills are a little duplicative, although Schroeder is probably going to fill more of a, a shooting role and, I just wonder if they could use that spending power if they do have the non-taxpayer mid-level exception somewhere else. Like I, I think, think this it's is better pretty... spent somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I, if they get some of those guys to come back or they replace them on minimum contracts, they can really get into the mix if they really want to use that full mid-level on a guy. Like they can get in the mix for some pretty significant players, and like there are bigger holes to fill. Uh, and I don't know. I, I just think if you have Schroeder. You're probably better off chasing a wing type, maybe like getting a stretch big to play next to AD. So you're not relying on like the JaVale or, or the uh, the Dwight minutes just all the time. You have a little bit different of a look to throw out there and maybe you can sit Kuzma sometimes. So I'm actually pretty optimistic. I'm curious how they end up divvying whatever spending power they have available yeah. to them up. Uh, this is the other here. Okay. So you mentioned Dwight. Um this is one of these things where, because I, I am not a huge fan of like try to run it back as close as you can. I think a little bit of shakeup is 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 good with every every championship team. Uh, this from Dwight uh, talking to Eton Thomas, I believe it is on uh, one of the podcasts I have at Basketball News, uh, Alex Kennedy's site. So he says, "quote I would love to come back and play for the Lakers again." Hopefully this year they give me a contract. That's the biggest thing. I don't want to play for free anymore. This year it was like, okay, I'll do whatever, but I think I've earned a contract. Now, setting aside the fact that, yes, he played very well and he's entitled to want to get paid and he did play for his, you know, the minimum and all that last year. The minute I hear that, any of that coming from Dwight, I am done. I mean, especially, Dwight. I mean, again, Dwight did everything that was asked of him. He had a great season and it was a really great story. You didn't give anybody a discount. Like this right, is literally your only offer. Yeah. <laughs> like it was either play for a veteran's minimum or find a different line of work. Right. Go play in the Ukraine. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm just, other I'm just, option. I mean, he may deserve he may deserve more in the open market. And if he can get it, by all means take it. But he didn't do the Lakers a solid. Like yeah. let, let's be real about this. Yeah. And the guy I really hope ends up there. I don't know how feasible it is, but I would love to see Marcus all there. Like who knows if he's going to even oh. stay in the NBA, but like, can you imagine just his passing playing with LeBron and like feeding AD and that's just, that would be beautiful. And I think that would make them really fearsome. The, the problem though, I think with somebody like getting Marcus all is he feels like somebody that you're not going to have on the floor at crunch time. Mm. Like, True. Yeah, it's it's largely going to be AD at that position. But I think he'd be. I think Gasol is at a point in his career where he probably he's fine. We'd be okay. I'm just talking about the use of the money. I don't mean his feelings. Yeah, I'm I'm, ter- yeah. I'm talking about in terms of allocating resources. Like right. I, this, this was on my list of questions for you, uh, Justin. Let's just say you had the option uh, for like a full mid level one of these guys like taking 
a market value pay cut to get a to get a ring or in one of their cases another ring. If you could choose between Ibaka or Gallinari, who would you take? It's a tough one because Gallinari isn't giving you any defense. <laughs> so, um, although like, and I can never, I feel like Abaka is year to year on like whether or not his shot blocking is overrated. Well, he's not, he's not much of a shot blocker anymore, but now yeah. he's a three point shooter. Right. right and he is, right. A, he is a solid position. He's one of those positional yeah. understands defense. It's a lot like Dwight in that regard. Right. I mean, I, I would just want to see Gallinari for for the same reasons I'd want to see Gasol, just like the creativity and like what they could do on offense and just feels like a Lakers, like showtime ish type of player. And if they get that going, like that's, that's, that's I don't know. Man. I, I mean, you would have to take a significant pay cut. You would assume that his market value is a little bit higher than Serge's. He's but, made a lot of money. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm not saying he should do it because he's made a lot of money, but like Gallinari's made a lot of money. And I mean, he, he can get away with it at this stage of his career. Like, I mean, he really has. Like, I remember I looked up his numbers. I was like, "Damn!" I mean, congratulations. He's made, no, he's he's in there assuming he's invested well. Um, <laughs> but I I I, I, I respect what the Lakers did defensively last year. I respect the way that they were able to grind their way through stuff like win this offense, which statistically. I you know performed. I mean, I understand that, but rarely did it look nice while it was doing it. I am not one of these people who likes '90s style, you know, Knicks versus Pacers. You know, that to me was always the most shocking part of the uh, of the Jordan documentary, as they keep showing all these fourth quarter highlights, and it's like '87 to you know '83 with two minutes left in the fourth. Like, I don't need that. I want to see. LeBron James and Anthony Davis and you know Danilo Gallinari and all these people. I want to see them putting up 137 points a night and letting in 131. That's fine. That to me is more entertaining. So uh, bring me Danilo Gallinari of, of my choice is him or Ibaka. Ibaka might be more helpful as a basketball player, but not for my entertainment. And that's that's what matters to me. Yeah, and you can make the case that like if you if you're saying the Warriors are probably their biggest competition or definitely up there with the Clippers. I forgot to mention the Warriors, God, when we were talking about tiers before. But like you're probably it's gonna easy have to, to forget. Them. Like nobody in fairness, you, nobody's quite sure what they come back as because I mean Draymond is aging. You know, we still we don't know what the Stephen, you know, Stephen Clay presumably, but they 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 are lacking a few things. So it's it's fair to wonder. Yeah, but you're probably getting to a couple track meets with them if you're saying there is a series down the road there. So I mean, just having the offensive firepower would be would be interesting. Yeah, I'm really I'm really curious both what they look like when they come back, but also like what they decide to do with that pick. Like that's that's going to be really fascinating tomorrow. Like what what a team like the Warriors that like we assume we assume they're in win now mode. But we don't know what they look like as a win now mode team. It's kind of like with Brooklyn, you know, they're they're in win now mode. But the version that is in win now mode, we have no idea what that looks like. Even if you take Harden out of the equation, and like for the record, I don't think that would work. The three of them together, I I think it's more likely to end their friendships than bring a championship. Yeah, let's before we get to the game, real quick. But like, what do you think? That would be the thing. Like if they trade every all of their stuff, and you're left with Kyrie, KD, and Harden. Obviously, there's a ton of talent there. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. 
I mean, I'm not sure that they can't win a title and end their friendships, as <laughs> we saw in, in Golden State. Like, that seems actually the path that KD is following here. And Kyrie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am of the belief that if you get talented enough basketball players, they'll figure it out. Like, I think we've seen recently that we hand ring over this question of like, there is only one ball to go around. And this would certainly be the most extreme version of this because James Harden has played basically one on five for the past like three years. But I mean, they're good players. I, I, if they're, if he's the one griping in order to join Katie, you imagine he's willing to sacrifice something. And like, I would assume they figure it out, maybe not to the level of winning a championship, but I think that they would be pretty good. You know what, though? It's not even so much can they figure it out on the court, even though I do think it would require more sacrifice than all of them may be aware of. Like, I remember when, the you know, the Lakers had their, you know, big four with the Dwight, Steve Nash, this is going to be fun era, and talking mm-hmm. with Antoine Jameson about 20 games into the season and him saying that everybody, himself included, had over had overestimated how easy it would be to sacrifice – because they were all talking about in training camp being excited for this, and they did, they didn't care who got shots, and, and like you start doing it, it's like yeah, this kind of sucks. But <laughs> right, the part that I think would be at least potentially disastrous for Durant, Harden, and Irving together is the leadership dynamic. Like you've got three guys That's on a that weird team. bunch of dudes. That is, I mean, like, is Harden the most normal of those guys? Like, and easy to sort of get along with, like, and <laughs> and he's got his stuff. Ooh. Yeah. Who is the easiest of that group to get along? KD on the right day, maybe. Yeah, but like that's not an easygoing bunch of dudes. And, and as leaders, I mean, they—they've all—they are all, I think, at best, unproven as leaders. Yeah. It would have to be Nash. It would have to be him acting as some sort of like de facto player. Well, thankfully, coach he's a like, very experienced coach. <laughs> right. I mean, right. Like, that's a—that is well, a, but, well, but but that's not even fair because they're all co-coaches. Yeah, yeah, you've heard how that breaks down. They're all kind of coaching together. Yeah, God, what what a mess that would be. I I wonder if that would actually just play into his advantage that they don't see him as an authority figure. You know, he's just he's just the guy who I was like practicing with in a gym a couple of years ago. I I don't have doubts about Nash's ability to coach. I mean, he seems to me like somebody who'd be really good at it. And I mean, God knows the guy is great at you know building relationships with teammates. But that is a really tough potential first gig like you know not just figuring out those personalities but oh by the way the three of you have never played together and we got to make this you know there's a lot you got to make work all at once yeah there's a lot happening there that nets team would be fascinating if only because they would be such a chemistry experiment but they would be so unlikable that i'm not sure if there would actually be a rise in nets fans you know, like it would be the first like super team that people actually didn't care about. <laughs> You're right. That is not a likable. Everyone hates Harden. Nobody particularly likes Kyrie and as as talented. And I think is sort of it's not like Durant's ever done anything wrong. Um, you know, it's not, he's not he's not villainous. You know, gave that great MVP speech with his mom. I mean, all that. But he's I think people at this point just find him very whiny. Um I, you're right. Fair. That is, the, that is, 
I like KD, but I mean, like I, that might be if you had to assemble a super team of unlikable I, I people. Actually, it's funny you said that, Justin. I was actually thinking about this yesterday, and I, I have it in my notes, like of potential things to talk about today. Who do you think is a less likable super team? Like, forget ne- necessarily how you feel about it, but just sort of like, like uh, how the the royal you would think about it. The royal we, the Miami Big Three. Or that potential big three in Brooklyn. So the difference is LeBron there, and I think that he is such a lightning rod that he literally like got like just the most vile things like thrown at him to the point where I mean this is canon now, but like he was saying like how it just completely affected him as a person, like yeah. it literally shook him as a man. I don't um, blame him, by the way. I mean, the shit he dealt with was awful. I, I, I don't, don't blame him. I don't think that. Well, a there wouldn't be fans in order to give the Nets this this sort of reaction, but I I don't know if again I don't think people would care. I think the difference is that someone like LeBron is a celebrity, and I just don't think those guys, despite trying very hard at it, have like ne- ever reached that. Like the biggest celebrity of the trio is probably Kyrie, just because he had this dalliance where like his shoes were popular and he played kind of that certain type of player that like tends to sell shoes, like the Jordan mold. Um, whereas KD, I think just gets like pigeonholed as this weird big guy. Uh, but like, no, no one is like just naturally drawn to them. It's more just like they say things and like it comes across their feet. So they'd be the equivalent of like, uh, if a super, if a super team falls in the forest, (laughs) right. I think so. I hadn't thought about it that way, but God, that's, that's like, but, like, is that team better? Like, I, I want to see it. I just want to see it. Like, I, I that, I mean, I'm a big fan of Karis Levert. I actually think that the Nets will be very good, regardless of whether or not you know. That's hardly a, a unique opinion. You add KD and and uh, Kyrie to that group, and all of a sudden they're pretty good. I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, breaking ground here, but I mean. Yeah, I want to see what that looks like. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's good or bad, but I totally want to watch it if it if it actually happens. Knowing it's an option now, I really want that to happen, and I want to see who the hell acquires Westbrook, and and what they get for him. Um, I I have a I have some bad news for our guy Russ. I don't think he's going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I I feel for him. Like apparently, uh, Brian Windhorst uh, was on Zach Lowe's podcast. And he was saying that uh, the Harden's news that he wanted to get out may have blindsided a lot of guys, including Russ. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think Russ may not have been thrilled with that news. Like, yeah. And I don't blame him. I, I, I mean, I think the report today that Shams had that there's at least some talk of a wall for Russ swap i think that shows you where we are that, i tweeted about that today that to me feels like john wall being punished for something he had nothing to do with <laughs> he's just on his couch he's like yeah. wait leave, leave me out of this what is yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be a wizard <laughs> yeah. leave my shit alone man i'm just oh, a good like guy. A top five rehabbing all, time. all right because I, all of, go ahead sorry no 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 yeah, finish I was, yeah. I was just gonna say like it does dredge up that like the one single player who has a worse contract than Russ is John Wall. <laughs> like don't oh. don't forget that Russ isn't the absolute rock bottom. I know. Again, I mean, but that's not John Wall's fault. <laughs> but it's so funny, but it is like and I know Andy gets to the game, but like it is funny like how we perceive these things. It's not 
it's it's obviously the money um, and the perception that that Westbrook is getting worse, or at the very least, is not going to get better, which is I think fair. But it's also because like he's he's a hard guy to play. It's hard to find the right guy to pair with with Westbrook. Like there's certain you know Harden I think is the same way. Like you keep recycling through these guys, and if Harden's going to play that style, who do you put next to him? that works and i think that's what people are getting better at sort of figuring out like you know you can put talent together but you do have to at least kind of figure out how it's going to match up and so um i don't know poor john wall <laughs> i agree yeah. it's again i i feel like he's being singled out like and and he had nothing to do with it he just was like periphery he's like a periphery member of a group that got in trouble and he's just mm-hmm. getting busted by extension. It does not feel right. All right, so the game tonight, Justin, in your honor, when we first met you, you were covering the Pelicans for mm-hmm. ESPN. Uh, you're down in New Orleans. Um, and with that in mind, I've got a game about facts involving either real-life Pelicans or things that involve Pelicans in some way. Um, <laughs> I'll be asking questions both for you and Brian. Um, you both get a chance to answer. You don't have to blurt it out. Um, and we begin. According to what's currently known, the oldest pelican fossil was discovered, estimated at 30 million years old, linking back to which country? A, Mexico, B, Spain, C, New Zealand, D, France. Brian goes first. Let me go Spain. I was going to say Spain, so to be different, I'll go Mexico. Oh, it's actually France. It was discovered at the Luberon, the Luberon in the southeastern region of mm, France. My favorite. On, on average, the American pelican has a wingspan of how long? Six feet, seven feet, eight feet, or nine feet? Justin goes first. So at the zoo in downtown New Orleans, they actually had... Uh, like a display where it was, I believe, a Pelican's wingspan and then Anthony Davis's to match up with it. Uh, that doesn't give me any edge here in answering this question. It's just like, <laughs> it's factoid that's not all that interesting. Um, I'm going to go seven. What's my option? What's my biggest option? Nine. Nine. We're going nine. You know why? Because it's an American Pelican. In America, we have the best Pelicans with the biggest <laughs> wingspans. I'm going nine. It is nine. nine. Uh, USA. <laughs> USA. You know who has little tiny wingspan pelicans? Russia. Their pelican <laughs> wingspans are like three feet. They're like tiny little like large. Yeah. Jay, Jay Billis would love the, the American pelican. That's right. USA. How many toes does a pelican Four. have? What? <laughs> three. Wait, pelicans have toes? Pelicans have toes. Three. Four. Five or no set amount, it varies by the species of pelican. <laughs> this is per foot, correct? Not total. Yeah, per foot. Three, four, five, or it depends on the pelican. Mm-hmm. I think it's a. I think it's a unified three. I'm going to go with the mixed bag, the po- the potpourri <laughs> of, of, of toes. <laughs> the topiary. Um, yeah. It is actually a four and a interesting. Brian. Brian had it half right. They are all connected by webbing. According to the National Park Service's Facebook page, three of the four adjectives listed are the accurate term for describing a group of pelicans. Which is the fake one? A brief, a nestle, 
a pod or a squadron? Justin goes first. Ooh, I like squadron. <laughs> Can I hear those again? A brief, a nestle, a pod, or a squadron to describe a group of pel pelicans. One of those is fake. I'm going to say pod. I think it's the brief. The no. pelican brief is a book. <laughs> no, it's a book, yeah. a group, but it's also a group of pelicans. A nestle is the <sighs> fake one. Also, to describe a group of pelicans, a pouch and a scoop. That's all the scoop different of pelicans. A scoop of pelicans. You know what we've shown so far is that Justin and <laughs> I know precious little about pelicans. You're learning a lot, and that's what yes. Important. True or false? False. Pelicans store food <laughs> inside their enormous bills. Brian goes first. I mean, for how long? They for a while, enough that you'd notice it was stored. I'm gonna say false. I'm going to go true. It is false. It is a common wow. misperception. Yeah. Uh, they use it to help capture the food, but they typically then swallow it. Swallow right it away. and then regurgitate it as yes. most birds do. So uh, Brian up uh, two to nothing. This is my come up and I don't, I don't, just trade, like attacking in, I don't trade in pelican stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> the pelican brief, uh, as you mentioned before, Brian, starring Denzel Washington and Julia Roberts, was a John Grisham adaptation. And True. It also came out the same year as The Firm, starring Tom Cruise and Wilford Brimley. Which movie grossed more? I love Wilford Brimley. Which movie grossed more domestically? The Firm or The Pelican Brief? I'm going to guess The Firm. I will say The Pelican Brief. Justin, on the board, it is The Firm, and by a pretty sizable margin. The firm, 158 million domestically. Pelican Brief, 101. Wilford Brimley, 26 years old when he made that movie. <laughs> in Scarface, in Scarface, there's a scene where Tony Montana, Al Pacino, is sitting in his incredibly large bath, yes. watching a bird on TV, saying, "Look at those pelicans fly, fly pelicans." The birds he's actually watching, though, are not pelicans. What kind of birds are they? Ostriches, emus, flamingos. Or vultures? Brian goes first. I believe they're flamingos. Yeah, that would be my guess. Because it's Miami, right? You are both correct. It is actually flamingos. So three to two. Got two it's, more it's left. definitely not vultures. I mean, for God's <laughs> sake. I mean, he, clearly Tony Montana doesn't know anything about birds. So it, it is actually possible. In what movie does a corrupt cop threaten people that they'll be playing pelican, basketball in Pelican Bay, which is a prison? <laughs> L.A. Confidential, Heat, Training Day, or Serpico? Justin goes first. L.A. Confidential, Heat, Training Day, or Serpico? Threatens people that they'll be playing basketball in Pelican Bay, a prison. I'm going to go with Serpico. Brian. I, I think it's not L.A. Confidential because if they if it was, they'd have to do it and let like film noir kind of, you know, ah, you're going to be playing basketball down at the Pelican Bay. Um, but I, I'm going to say training day. It is training day. Yeah. Denzel threatens all those guys after everyone turns on him and Jake, uh, Ethan Hawke. I actually remember leave. that part, yeah. So now Brian is up 4-2. This is the last question, but Justin, as luck would have it, just purely randomly, <laughs> this last question is worth three. So oh, you beautiful. have the opportunity to win. Which Australian actor voiced the Pelican Nigel in the Finding Nemo movies. Hugh Jackman, Jeffrey Rush, 
Guy Pierce or Brian Brown, the uh, the mentor bartender from Cocktail, if you didn't know exactly who he was. Brian goes first. What are my choices? Hugh Jackson, Jeffrey Rush, Guy Pierce, Brian Brown. And the Pelican. Um, Nigel the Pelican. Nigel the Pelican. I'm going to say Jeffrey Rush. I was going to say that. So what were the last two options? Guy Pierce, Brian Brown. Let's go with Brian Brown. I don't think it's a real person, but we'll go with it. No, he's a real person. Oh, he is a real person. He was the mentor. Oh, okay. uh, he was cocktail. Right. Um, unfortunately, Justin, the answer actually is, is Jeffrey, Jeffrey Rush. Rush I, I know strategically you couldn't go for him, but that yeah. unfortunately is the answer. So despite having cover, covered the Pelicans for several years, you know nothing about them. Mm. <laughs> This is what I get for not getting a license plate down there, which had a pelican on it. <laughs> was that an option? Uh, I think that's on the the traditional one you get. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm pretty really? sure they towed my car one time because I did not have a Louisiana <laughs> license plate. So. There you go. The pelicans did, or the or the or the uh, the police did. I wouldn't put it past them. I have to say, I will say, everybody was making fun of them when they changed their name to the Pelicans. Oh my God, what a stupid! Pelicans are mean and scary and intimidating birds that are not to be messed with. So I thought that was actually a good choice. Yeah, man, stay away from those. Yeah, no, they're they're rough, man. Justin Verrier, you can read his stuff at the Ringer. You can listen to him on the group chat. What which day does that typically drop? Uh, Wednesday. So we'll have one tomorrow morning. Uh, got anything to get into tomorrow? <laughs> anything big happening in the NBA? You know, a few things. A couple second-round draft picks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> God, it's going to be bonkers tomorrow. Uh, Brian and I are going to be doing a live Lando Lakers podcast slash uh, late-night happy hour in reaction to the draft and whatever other deals that may end up happening. So join us tomorrow. Um, again, thanks to Justin Barrier. Read his stuff on The Ringer. Listen to the group chat. And we will see everybody tomorrow. Donk, you need a lot